Jude had a purpose in writing his letter, which Denton has preached about the last couple of Sundays. And I would just like to very quickly refresh our minds as far as why Jude is writing this letter, because he is writing with a specific purpose. That purpose is found in verses 3 and 4. And Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Pause there. Jude wanted to write about salvation, but instead he switched gears because it was necessary for him to appeal to his readers, which is us, 2,000 years later, we are his readers, to appeal to us to contend for the faith. The Greek word that he uses here is the idea of contend earnestly. So there's an earnest fighting for the faith. Why do we need to fight for the faith? Why do we need to contend for the faith? Verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who are infiltrating the church. They look like believers, they sound like believers, but they're not. And then for the next 12 verses, 5 through 16, he expounds on this. He dives deeper into this. Uh, so just to recap that really quick, verse 12, these are hidden reeds at your love feast as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, shepherds who are supposed to be feeding you, but they're not, they're only feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And then in verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. These are the infiltrators that Jude is writing about and calling his readers to contend for in the faith, to stand against this. And so after writing this short, um, this short letter, and expounding most of it on these false teachers, we get to our text today, verse 17. Jude writes, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. And this is the word of the Lord. So Jude switches gears and says, but you must remember, beloved. So he's been writing about these false teachers that have coming in. And then he calls the church to remember. And we are to remember that the apostles predicted this to come. So Jude is writing this letter not long after the apostles started um, preaching and teaching and the church started growing. So it hasn't even been 30 or 40 years since Jude wrote this letter. 
And yet the apostles predicted that people would come into the church, deceiving the church, looking out for their own selves, and they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. So verses 17 through 19, he is calling us to remember that the apostles predicted that these scoffers would come, these false teachers following their own ungodly passions. So they do not have the spirit of Christ in them. They do not have the Holy Spirit of our Father in them. And he's saying, remember that the apostles said this would come. So today, as we look around at the world around us, we can see this taking place. We see false teachers rise up. We can call them out by name. Lindsay and I, we were in here this week painting um, the, the blue missions wall as, as you walked in. Um, we had some Shylin Christian hip-hop going. He's got a song called False Teachers, and he is calling them out by name, unashamedly. I'm not going to do that here. But, um, but they are in the church. They are leading thousands away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They claim that, this is, that they follow Jesus. They claim that you should follow Jesus, but there is no truth in them, in the words that they speak, and they are leading people astray. And so when we see this, Jude is saying, remember that this was predicted. In other words, take heart. Like this, yes, this is going to happen, but it's okay. So remember that. As you see churches around you split for various reasons, it's okay. Remember, this was predicted that this was going to happen. This shouldn't catch us by surprise. This shouldn't catch us off guard. This shouldn't discourage us to, to fall away from the faith. This shouldn't cause us to question the validity of the scriptures um, when we see these things happening. It's okay because we knew this was going to happen. But on the other hand, verses 20 through 22, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Yes, there are false teachers that come in to the church. Yes, there are people who come in, they sound like they're believers, yet they cause divisions in the church. They cause churches to split or they cause different groups to come in. Yes, that is going to happen, but you live this way. In these few verses, Jude lays out how we are to live. How are we to contend earnestly against this? This is how we do this. We do this by building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Now, the English language, by default, doesn't have a good way to describe the second person plural. We have you and you. Are you talking you singular or you plural? So let's read this with a good southern y'all in here. <laughs> but y'all, beloved, building y'all selves up in y'all's most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep y'all selves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is a community-driven statement. So this directive is for all of us to do this together. We don't do this isolated. We don't do this on an individual basis. We build each other up. We are doing this together as a community. So how do we resist false teaching? We build each other up. We can't 
come to church on Sunday morning, go home the rest of the week, come back the next Sunday morning, go home the rest of the week, and call that living in community. I rejoice that Redeemer live streams our services. It has been amazing. We have not been here the last couple of weeks, but we've still been able to go online and watch. Uh, we were driving down the road one, one time. We were coming back, and we got to live stream the service live as we're driving through the traffic of Nashville one time. So that was such a blessing, and it is such a joy. But we can't sit at home, and so no offense to those who are watching online, but I do want to challenge us that we cannot live our lives online watching ser church services from afar and consider that living in community. We cannot read books about Christianity, about Christian theology, and consider ourselves living in community. I love listening to podcasts. As I drive around town for my job, I listen to sermons, I listen to other podcasts, but that's not living in community. Because being isolated, I have no opportunity to build each of you up in the faith. And you have no opportunity to pour into my life and build myself up in the faith. So Jude is calling us to live in community, live in each other's lives, get to know each other, dig in, ask those hard questions, be open and share, be vulnerable and share in that community so that we can build each other up. But we don't just encourage each other like, ah, you know, you, you'll get through it, you'll, you'll pull through it, just, you know, the old Christian adage, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We, we love a good American story of somebody coming here and pulling themselves up and like more power to you. That's not building each other up if we talk like that. We build each other up in your most holy faith. We build each other up by talking to each other, by reading the Bible together, by pouring into each other's lives. When we see sin, we talk about it. We confront it. When we have sin in our lives, we confess it. We just had this time of liturgy where we did a general confession of, of prayer, but we need to be in each other's of, of lives, a confession of sin. We need to be in each other's lives where we can actually confess sin one to another. Uh, Proverbs says, I, I can't remember exactly how, how it goes. This wasn't planned. I'm just going off the cuff here. But um, that if you don't confess sin, you can't grow. Sin grows in darkness. Sin hides in darkness. And you can't be free of it if you don't confess that sin to, to each other. And so that is one thing that we do. We get in each other's lives and we build each other up in our faith. Additionally, we pray. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We pray together. We pray for each other. We pray for everyone around us. We pray for our church leaders. We know who is struggling. And so we get on our knees and we go to God in prayer for them. We fight on our knees, as uh, the old saying goes, and we fight by praying. We pray for each other. We pray with each other. And we do all of this in community. When false teachers come in, we pray. We build each other up goes on to say, verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. So as we are building ourselves up, we remember God's love for us on the cross where Jesus Christ came. We sang the song, um, the doxology of Jude, I think is, is what it's called. Uh, remember how God brought you out of Egypt. Remember how God brought you through the wilderness. Remember all of these things that God has done. Read the Psalms over and over and over again. 
the Psalms constantly remind Israel what God did for them. And when Israel, throughout the Old Testament, when they fall away from God, it's because they've forgotten about what God has done. If you read the book of Judges, Israel sins against God. God sends an enemy in to torment the people for five years, 10 years, 40 years, however long. And then the people eventually cry out to God for salvation. And then God hears their cries, sends a judge to deliver them. Samson and others. Uh, Samson's probably the one that everybody remembers. Uh, but he sends a judge to deliver them from their enemies, and they rejoice and they follow God for a generation. Then the next generation forgets about God. And then it says, at the end of that great deliverance, a new generation comes and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And this is pretty much what it looks like here in America today. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. People forget about God. And that is what Jude is saying is that remember that the apostles said that people will come and infiltrate the church. Be on guard because they're going to get you to forget about what God has done for you and why God did those things for you. So we look back at the Old Testament and we remember what God did for Israel over and over and over again. And then we keep ourselves in the love of God that he sent Christ who died on the cross once and for all for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead, conquering death. That is the love of God, that he loved us. As Robert said earlier, that no matter what we've done, no matter what we do, no matter what we will do, God loved us and forgave us and sent Jesus Christ. We keep reminding ourselves of that. We keep preaching to each other. We keep building each other up in the faith. We do that in the body of Christ, in each, other's in each other's lives, day in and day out. We can't all be together unless we sell our homes and go move and live on a compound and in a commune together. It's a little cultish. We're not going to do that. Um, but we've got text messaging. We've, we've got apps. We've got phone calls. We've got other ways we can be in each other's lives, incurring each other day in and day out knowing when each other are struggling because we're confessing sins, because we're encouraging each other, remembering to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're praying for each other. This is what it looks like for the community of God to live together. This is what it looks like for the community of God to contend earnestly against these people that are coming into the church to split the church apart and take us away from our hope in Jesus Christ. And we do that together. Then he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We are already, we have already received the mercy of our God through Jesus Christ. If you have placed your faith in him for forgiveness of sins and you believe that Christ rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, you have already experienced the mercy of God. But there is more mercy yet to come. And that is what Jude is talking about here that there is still a mercy when Christ comes and this world is done away with. Sin is done away with. Sickness is done away with. Death is done away with. The pains of broken relationships are done away with. So we wait earnestly for that day to come. And we wait with hope. First Peter in his first, uh, first, Peter in his first letter, 
um, he starts out by calling us to fix our eyes on Christ and to the salvation and hope that is coming. And so we know that there is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times, as Peter says. And so we look to that and we wait for that and we wait for that mercy to come. Because even though we've, we've received mercy, we're still waiting for more mercy. And in the midst of this community that Jude is describing, there is one more aspect that we must pay attention to. And that is verse 22. Verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. There will be false teachers that come in preaching a false gospel. It sounds good, it feels good, but it isn't good. It is going to lead to nothing but destruction. That will sway some people. And when people in our community start hearing these other voices and start doubting their faith or start doubting the gospel, we have mercy on them. This is a characteristic of the Christian living in community for the glory of Jesus Christ is that we show mercy on those who doubt because we ourselves have received mercy and are still waiting for mercy. So we show others mercy. We show them kindness. Yes, people are going to doubt, but we love them. We are kind to them. We are gracious to them. And so we build each other up. We contend with, uh, for our faith with them. We talk to them. We love them. We pray with them. We remind them to keep in the love of God. And we show mercy to them. That is what it looks like to live in community. We don't sit back and judge them. We don't talk about them behind their back. We don't grumble and complain, our hearts go out to them and we say, you know what? It's okay. It's fine. Let's, let's talk through this together. Let's pray this. Let's pray through this together. Trials come in our lives. We are faced with hardships all the time. The New Testament is full of the apostles and the other authors reminding us that when trials come, James, rejoice in these times. Peter, we rejoice in our suffering. We are called to suffer. And over and over again, we know that hard times are going to come that are going to distract us from the gospel. And so when our brothers and sisters are facing these times of crisis in their lives, we have mercy on them. We love them. Especially because at some point in our life, we may very well encounter a crisis. And so when we encounter a crisis, we want our brothers and sisters to love us and have mercy on us as well. And so this is this reciprocal relationship that Jude is writing about, about how we live in community, loving each other, building each other up, praying with each other, having mercy on each other. This is what it means to live in community. How do you contend against false teachers and a false gospel? You live in community, and this is how you live. Now, Jude 23, he says, as well, in addition to living in community, in addition to living this way with each other, save others by snatching them out of the fire. We are called to save others by snatching them out of the fires of hell. Jude is emphasizing here our 
great commission from our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the very last commands of Jesus Christ. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has revealed himself to his disciples. He has gathered them together, um, and they've all gathered together on the mountain. He is about to go up into heaven, and the last command he gives to his disciples, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. He bases his command in his authority. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always until the very end of the age. Christ commands us to go and Christ is with us as we go. And so we go and we make disciples of all nations. We make disciples. We live in community with each other, but we don't stay in community. We don't just stay here together. Otherwise, we should form our own commune and go live in a compound out in the middle of Wyoming, away from the rest of the world, so that we can build each other up. But Jude says, no, don't stay there. Save others by snatching them out of the fires of hell. We go and we fulfill our great commission. There are 3.2 billion unreached people in the world alive today. 3.2 billion. That's 40% of the world's population that has little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are living, they are dying without ever having a chance to hear about Jesus Christ. 3.2 billion people alive today. I heard a statistic last week that said, <clears throat> if all of the followers of Jesus Christ went out and made one disciple. Each person individually made one disciple and discipled that person for 10 years. And then at the end of 10 years, they repeated that. The whole world would be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in 40 years. I shared that statistic with Lindsay and she's like, no way. And I was like, so I was like, well, let me do the math. Just double, double check the statistic. I don't know how many um, believers there are in the world. But if we say there's at least 200 million believers, I, I get that statistic because there are about 80 plus million Christians in America. And amazingly enough, there are about 80 plus million Christians in China. Just China alone, they have the same number of Christians that are here in America. That's 160 million between just China and America. That doesn't include Latin America. That doesn't include Europe, Asia, the rest of Asia, or Africa. So I think saying there are 200 million genuine followers of Jesus Christ alive on this planet is probably a safe bet. So if 200 million people each went out and made one disciple and discipled that one person for 10 years, at the end of 10 years, you would have 400 million. Well, they all did that again. At the end of 20 years, you would have 800 million. They do that again. At the end of 30 years, 1.6 billion. And then at the end of 40 years, you would have 3.2 billion. So it's not a big ask. Go out and make disciples is what Christ commanded us to do. We can see the whole world, not saying that the whole world will be saved in 40 years, but the whole world will be reached with the gospel, meaning that there will be believers everywhere, all over the world, so that even in these hard-to-reach places, there will still be people that don't know the gospel, but they know someone who does. They have the opportunity to hear the gospel. 
Right now, there are 3.2 billion people who have no chance to hear the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what we have heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So walking that backwards, we go, we obey Christ. We go, we preach the word of Christ. We preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when they hear the word, they can believe the word. And when they believe the word, they can call on him who this word is about. And when they call on him, they will be saved. We go and we save others by snatching them out of the fire. We don't just live in community. We use this community to build ourselves up, to stay in the faith, to encourage each other so that we can go out and make disciples of all nations. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I have become a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ, but it is such a blessing to have to talk to somebody and see them recognize their need to repent, and they call on the name of the Lord. It is such a blessing, and that is what Paul is saying. I'm going to do whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel to see people saved. To the Jew, I'll become as a Jew. To the Gentile, I'll become as a Gentile. I will do what I can to save some. We know that not everyone will repent some will. And they can only repent if they hear the word. And they can only hear the word if somebody preaches. And we are sent because Christ has sent us out. So we go. We use this community to go out and make disciples of all nations. Then Jude concludes this section. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So there's two aspects to this one part. First, so the whole verse, save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear. This second part, well, the first part, we see people that are lost and are repenting. They're being snatched out of the fire. This one to others have mercy with fear. So these are people that aren't repenting, that are still in the fire. And Judas saying, show mercy with fear. First, show mercy. We preach the gospel, people reject it. We still show mercy to them. We don't go behind their backs. 
and grumble about them, complain about them. We don't take to Facebook and do posts about how awful they are and evil they are and, and how terrible they are because they're still living in their sin or because they don't agree with us on this or that. Um, we show mercy. In the same way that we show mercy to our brothers and sisters who doubt their faith, we show mercy to the world around us who doesn't believe, who rejects the gospel. We still love them. This is the characteristic of one who follows Jesus Christ, is one who is merciful because you have received mercy. And we are still under mercy ourselves. So we show mercy to everyone, to our brothers and sisters who doubt and to those who reject Christ. We still show mercy. But Jude says, show mercy with fear. And what he means here, um, the second part of that can be really confusing. Um, Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the cliche Uh, Hate the sin, love the sinner. That's really what Jude is kind of saying here. This little snippet here is referencing back to Zechariah chapter 3, where it says, uh, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him said, Behold, I have taken your your iniquity away from you, And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. That is what Jude is referring to here, is that people are stained with sin. And so we show mercy to those who are stained with sin. But we do it with fear so that we also don't put on those same stained clothes. So go out into the world to make disciples. Build relationships with people who don't follow Jesus Christ, who don't love Jesus Christ. Share the gospel with them. As Paul said, become all things to all men so that some might be saved, but do so with fear so that you also don't fall into their sin. As you are going out and you're building relationships, be wise about what you do. There are some people that um, I have seen, they're like, yeah, I just go out drinking with everybody and everything else, and I go to all their parties, and I'm doing all this stuff. And the way they talk about it, I question, like, are, are you being wise about how you're doing this? Are you, are you going to fall into all those same things? Um, when I was in, I, I did missions in, in West Africa for two years, and there was a pastor, local pastor there, uh, went out with him. We went out to this one village, and they're all Muslims out there, and um, it was time for, for them to do one of their five daily prayers, and they invited us to come pray with them. Myself and another missionary I was with and our interpreter, we said, uh, no, no, thank you, we'll, we'll just stay back here. But that pastor said, said, sure, I'll go. And so he got down and prayed exactly like them, praying all the prayers that they were praying and everything else. And when he came back, questioning him, like, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, Paul became all things to all men so that some might be saved. And, uh, and then I was just like, yeah, but there's, he's not becoming them. And so I looked at that, and that gave me much pause because there's such a danger of stepping into their sin with them and being stained with that sin. And that's what Jude is cautioning here. I'm not saying that he shouldn't do that. I'm saying I personally wouldn't do that. I didn't do that. 
And I would caution against doing something like that. But be wise about how we engage the world. We show mercy to them with fear. So we respect the fire that they are headed into. And we do so with fear, but we do so with mercy as well. So Jude writes to us, telling us to contend for the faith, to contend earnestly for the faith. And we do so by living in community, by building each other up, by praying together, by reminding each other of the love of Christ, by showing mercy to those who doubt, to those who stumble. And we go out into the world fulfilling the commission of Jesus Christ to share the gospel, to make disciples of all nations. And we do so with a healthy respect for the sin that we are trying to snatch them out of, lest we fall into that ourselves, lest we start to doubt. So we don't go out alone into the world. We do so in community. We go out with community. We go out praying for each other. And then after we've been out in the world, we come back into the community and we get to share all the wonderful things that we have experienced. People coming to faith in Jesus Christ, people rejecting Christ, uh, and yet we can rejoice together, we can weep together, we can pray together, but we do so in community. So live in community, but live in community on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this week, as we go out of here, I want to encourage you to ask the question, how are you living in community? How are you building others up here at Redeemer Fellowship Church? How are you encouraging others? here at Redeemer Fellowship Church? And how are you fulfilling the commission of Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations? Let's pray. God, we rejoice that you saw fit to send someone to us to tell us the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we had an opportunity to hear and that you convicted us, us of sin. I pray that you would build us into a community that loves each other, strengthens each other, that builds each, other's up, that builds each other up, but also a community that goes out and snatches people out of the fire. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us wise so that we know how to engage the world and how to engage it properly in a way that glorifies Christ, that honors Christ, that shows mercy to those who are dying. Father God, go before us, pave the way to draw people to you. Use us for your glory this week. In Jesus' name we pray.